Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Very famous verse. I trust you all know that. And at times when you are weary and laden and you're needing rest, quote this promise. I do that often, particularly these days. And the Lord comes to us as we acknowledge his greatness, his power, his ability to meet our needs. We as Christians are very needy people. In fact, all human beings are very needy people. But we are needy by the fact that if we are detached or the Lord seems far away and not present, we call upon him and he comes. And it's not like he comes into us again. It's like he was waiting for us to call his name. And he comes in and fills us with assurance and power and, of all things, rest. And as we said last week, that is a rhythm that God has put within us as human beings of working hard, laboring. By the way, work is not a curse. It is a gift to us to keep us from slipping even further down in our humanity and our fallenness. Work is what God gave in the very beginning before there was a curse. What was the first job Adam signed up for? Naming all the animals. How many of you are biology majors? I was. I was. But I, I love nature and creation. And Adam named all of those animals. I can't even fathom that. But it was the first job that Adam had. And the next job he had was to name his wife. We won't get into that. Our series from Joshua is Finding Rest. And we all need rest. And thank the Lord for homes that we live in, for the fact that so many of the blessings that we have here in Japan, there are many, many people today that don't have what we have, a resting place. And even speaking into the spiritual needs of people, so many in this land without rest. We are so privileged as believers in Jesus. Rest is actually a pursuit of mankind. How many of you are ready, just about at that point now, of retirement? I'm way over it. <laughs> and Flossie and Russ, they're looking forward to going home, but it's going to be hard for them to say, okay, we're putting everything down here in Japan. How many years have you been here, Flossie? 50. 
a hundred years between you. Well, no, of course, Russ came later. He can't cash in on your years. But thank the Lord for these veterans, this model, this example to us. Thank you for your testimonies. And what a praise that was to our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be praying and we'll have a special time of saying goodbye. There's a uh, scripture that is a commentary on the book of Joshua. It's just a few verses long. In Hebrews 4, 8 to 11, we're reminding ourselves each week of this. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Do you rest, truly rest? And do you look forward to the time when, as believers together, we can just sit in these comfortable chairs here and be together? Think of the flurry and the disharmony that you have out there in the world, going to work, coming back from work, things that must be done and they wear you down. We have a rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. God ordained for us to spend one day acknowledging Him and His presence and His gift to us. It is a rest for us to be here together. For me, it's a lot of work, but for you, it's rest. <laughs> No, I enjoy this. This is a joy, a highlight of our week, to be with the believers. And we've come to know you, and it has been our joy to know the people that have come and gone and are here. We'll come back, I'm sure, and you'll still be here, many of you. But when we are together, this is his rest. What psalm is that? This is my rest forever. And that's talking about the Lord being at rest with us. He comes and makes his dwelling with us. Well, you know what? The book of Joshua is a very, very busy book. What I mean by busy is constant things going on in that book. You cannot really find a place of rest in the book of Joshua. But I've given my message, and I stole this from my son, finding rest, because I thought, no, there is a rest in the book of Joshua. And we're going to talk about it this morning. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, just as God did from his. That's what it's about. We are to model or to imitate our Father so that we become a model to others. And they can sense that, that we are at rest. There's something about you, they say. There's something about how you face your busyness with peacefulness about your demeanor. I'm sure many of you have heard that. 
And the credit goes to our Lord because he is the first one who rested from his work. And he wants us to imitate him so that we also rest from our work, from the toils that we have. And then, therefore, let us be workers. Diligent, it says. Diligence. Diligence, what does that speak of? That talks about being busy and arranging the chairs and doing all kinds of things. But be diligent to enter that rest. Think about that this week. It's a oxymoron. So that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And what's the disobedience spoken of here? The disobedience is for you not to rest. The Father wants us to learn how to rest. Remind yourself, allow the Holy Spirit to remind you this week about resting. We're talking about holy ground this morning, chapter 5. The reproach of Egypt rolled away. What a heaviness. What a burden for the people of God. And the first Passover, that he finished his work in releasing the people from the bondage that they were in. In that came death to many who were unbelievers. But for us, we've escaped, we've been released. And ancient Israel was released. And an incredible truth, one family went to Egypt and two million walked out. Not two million families, but two million people walked out. Over a period of 400 years, incredible when we think about this. And here under the leadership of the man who followed Moses, Joshua. Joshua, as we say in English, Jesus. That's what that name means. Joshua, Jesus. And he is a picture of our leader, our captain of our cause. And so, point C, we'll talk about the captain of the Lord's host. Now, it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. What an incredible news connection that the nations had. It says all the kings of the Amorites heard about this. Why? Why did they hear about it? How could they have heard about it? They didn't have CNN or Fox News or NHK. But there was a signal given. Do you know what it was? All their drains had backed up. Well, what I mean is the River Jordan stopped flowing downstream, but backed up miles and miles and miles. And those nations, they looked out, what is happening here? 
Can you imagine the sight of that? And it was probably more than 12 hours. It was probably more like 20 or maybe even 24 hours. Can you imagine how far up the Jordan? It probably went all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. Flooded, but below, dry as a bone, down into the Dead Sea. And that wall of water, the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. We're going to talk a little bit about what they did when they got on the other side. But anyway, the kings of the Amorites, they lost their spirit, their drive. And the reproach of Egypt was rolled away. Remember that point, the reproach of Egypt, because it speaks of something that's going to happen at the end of this message. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gabeth Haraloth. Circumcision. This is not a subject that I wanted to talk about on Sunday morning, but I think that it has a lot of meaning and a lot of understanding of how God views us as human beings. This is not just something that was ancient and obscure and we don't like to think about it, but it is the truth. And we of all people as believers in Jesus Christ can talk about this because the God of Israel wanted to mark his people as a special people just as he chose a rib out of Adam, now he's choosing a part that is not disabling, but it is marking. It is putting a sign out there that this people, through their descendants, are a peculiar people. That's the term that's used in the New Testament for us as Christians as well. And that mark was very special to a man named Abraham and to his son. And it is not something that we should be ashamed of or that it should be, well, we just never talk about it. Well, I'll tell you what, the Bible does talk about it. And not only in the Old Testament, which circumcision is talked about quite a bit in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. It is not a sign of, if you become a Christian, you have to do this. It is not that kind of thing. It is specific to God's purposes, and it is a sign, as the Jews have held all these years, of being a special people. We, as Christians, have a little bit different view on it. In fact, we'll talk about that right now. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but the men who were born in the wilderness along the way had not been circumcised. 
And they have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And the nation was having births of male children, but they were not carrying out the sign of circumcision. Even though they were a special people. And to be very honest, I searched quite a bit this past week to try to find out why, why, why did Moses not circumcise? And I won't go into this story, but you can read back and it is maybe kind of a funny story, but it's a very dramatic story of Moses' wife who performed circumcision on her son and threw the foreskin at him, at Moses. And that was despicable because she was not a Jew. But yet, Moses carried on the covenant sign of Abraham, who in having his first child, Isaac, and circumcising him and himself as a covenant promise to God. And why the children of Israel did not carry that on may have been that Moses remembered what happened to him and his wife. And so he did not insist on them carrying that on. And there's not much talk about it in the 400 years that they were in Egypt and in the 40 years that they went into the wilderness. So it seems to me that that ritual or that sign, that covenant, was specific to a time and for a people. And so because it was a sign and it was a very private thing, it's exactly the same as our salvation in Christ Jesus as Christians. Let's just go on reading a little bit more. I think you'll see my point. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord has sworn to them, to their fathers, to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised before because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What was the reproach of Egypt? That they had gone in as one family, and they'd walked out as possibly two million people. That was a act of God to raise a nation to himself, to show that they had existed for all those years, 400 years in Egypt, and he was still faithful to them. But the reproach was that they had become a slave nation. They had been enslaved and you know what? They didn't have the best jobs in Egypt. Even though there were those rising stars, like even Moses himself, who was found in a river and raised in Pharaoh's household. And that even has a sign of, I have something in mind, God says, for salvation. 
and Moses led them out of Egypt. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. And so when they had gone over the river of Jordan and had backed up and, and all the kings of the Amorites knew that there was something going on here, that was called Gilgal which means a circle of stones. And we talked about those stones. They were probably about 150 pounds each, 12 of them. And they were probably put in a circle right in the area where they had come out of the riverbed and put it on the land there as a sign. We talked about that. And the generations after that would ask their fathers or their grandfathers, what happened there? Why are those stones there? And at Gilgal, there is an action that is specific. This is Matthew 26, 27 to 29. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus Christ is referring back to the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt and to what he is doing now as coming as a baby and being raised up as a man, walking in our flesh, Jesus himself being circumcised. He identifies with people in bondage. He put himself under so that he might raise us up. He became our covenant savior. And so some people may think it's very strange, you know, once a month these Christians gather together and they drink out of a little cup and, and eat a little piece of bread. What are they doing? That's strange. That's, you know, you go to the bar and you get a hefty mug of beer and slosh it down. That's not what we do. We are reverent. We are understanding that this is holy ground. When we have communion on the first Sunday of the month. Because of the relationship that we have with the Savior. And Jesus said to us, to all of us, as well as his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end. Then we come to some specific Old Testament as well as New Testament injunctions to us. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. And then Deuteronomy 10, 14 to 16. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your father's did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose his descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is to this day. So circumcise your heart.
and stiffen your neck no longer. He's using a despicable action to show us what it is to become covenant people. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we take on a stigma of being different. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not to fit in and to, to be all nice to people. Yes, we need to be nice to them. But we are different and we stick out and we should stick out. And unfortunately in this nation, it is such a unified nation in terms of culture and history and even geographically on these islands that they have, above all other nations in the world, are the most unique people in the world. Now, when I first came to Japan in 1974, we were working with students and I was telling them, as I was trying to understand the Japanese culture and history and all, yeah, they are an incredible nation. And so when I talked to them about, oh, you have no crime here? You can leave your brand new camera sitting in Tokyo Station on the counter, get your ticket at the wicket. We didn't have these cards back in those days. Buy your tickets for your family. You turn the other way, your camera's there. You get on the train, you go for an hour up the train tracks to Utsunomiya, which back in those days was about a two hour trip. My camera! Get back on the train, go back down there, go to the exact spot Thousands of people had walked by that camera. It was still sitting there after about an hour and a half. And there it was. Unbelievable. And I was talking to these students and telling them about that. Yeah, we, we don't steal here. But my friend went to America and he put his camera on a picnic table, turned around and looked back. It was gone. America! <laughs> God of our fathers! And a camera's gone in just a flash like that. And he says, why do people steal? My Japanese student, why do Americans steal? We, we don't trust Americans. It's such a closed nation. And it's not that they are so honest. It's because of the fear Proverbs says, the fear of man is a snare. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? There's a difference there. A huge difference. And I'm not saying that America is a God-fearing nation by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's not. But there is that which holds this nation from hearing the gospel and being set free. And that's what should motivate us here in this room to really understand that these dear people, yes, we enjoy the benefits, but there's a lid that the enemy has put on Japan and they are not free. The fear of man. This is our privilege to be a people set apart. And when you try to tell and explain to a person, why are you a Christian? You don't have to say, well, it's because of circumcision. No, 
It's not because of this or that, but it's because Jesus Christ has made us different, that he lives within us, and we are his, and he is ours. The Lord bless you this week. And may you know that you are marked as a people of God so that you understand that in your daily life there's the blessing of the Father, the blessing of Abraham on you. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, this challenge. And thank you for bringing us, quite a few of us here, from other countries to this land. Thank you for our Japanese brothers and sisters here in this room, who you have marked with an incredible, incredible passion for the Lord Jesus in their lives. We bless them. We thank you for the privilege that we have of being here and witnessing their testimony. Bless the churches of Japan. Bless their pastors, their leaders. May they know that they have been chosen as a special people. Give them the, the encouragement and the understanding that it's your life in them and that they're holding up that testimony and that faith in Jesus Christ, that he be honored and that he be lifted up and they be lower so that the world would come to know that you have chosen a people, a peculiar people. Bless us throughout this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.